morning! This is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School Cord Killers and Hacking the System on Nat Geo, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. <laughs> Scrolling for December 6th, 2022. I'm Steve Foder. Happy birthday. I'm Frosty the Snowman. Starting early this year. Okay. We're just a couple of guys talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Frosty, uh, you, you staying cool in North Carolina? It's sort of cool. Sort of cool, Steve. <laughs> sort of cool. You know, there's the mountains, Steve, and there's there's snow out there. <laughs> sounds like the beginnings of a children's cartoon you know there's snow in the mountains so we there's, can go to the mountains there, there is snow in the mountains steve and you can go and it's it's the magic of of the season steve it gets cold it is a magical season for sure De- december is upon us we're ready we're getting ready for all of the holiday festivities uh so much fun we're having so much fun it is it's dark and there's uh fairy lights or are they Christmas lights, Steve? Have the Christmas lights sprouted in your neighborhood? Blinkies, Steve. Are you familiar with Blinkies? I, I I think so, but why don't you go ahead and explain? Steve, for our listeners who are not familiar with them, if you were out in Asheville, North Carolina, they have these special uh Christmas lights or fairy lights, however you want to describe them, that are very sparse, like a there's i don't know like three feet in between each light and you put them up in the trees and it makes uh Asheville the special place it is oh there you go i was not familiar with that so now i know and knowing is half the battle <laughs> film at 11 Brings you to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, my friend, you saw a movie from Australia on an Australian uh, streaming service this week. I did not see it on an Australian streaming service, but it was a uh, film that was originally released on an Australian uh, streaming service, and it was, became available to us. It stars Jor-El. I think you were familiar with him, the father of Superman. I think this is a prequel to man of steel you don't think it's a prequel to the latest thor movie where the greek god uh <laughs> flounces down the stairs <laughs> this is russell crow the movie is called poker face certainly not from a lady gaga song <laughs> the essence of it could take place as a one-man play okay. uh, not a one-man play but a one-room play okay. where all the characters are there now, we have a whole bunch of scenes that kind of set it up. And then we eventually have this thriller of a film that continues after our one-room play. But in essence, it's a group of friends who've known each other since they were very, very young, okay. who like to gamble and play card games. Um, they've come back together. And the, all of their strengths that they bring to the table, all their weaknesses they bring to the table... And their lifelong friendship are being played. Liam Helmsworth is in this film. And I kept looking at him going, is that Chris? Is that Chris? 
Nope, that's little brother Liam in in the movie with the guy who's not the Greek god. So uh, it's something about Russell Crowe and the Hemsworths, huh? Exactly. Now, this is a very, like, very good uh, movie. In fact, it may be my favorite movie of the year. It was, I say, 80 out of 100, if you wow. want to know how good it is. And ultimately, it's a story about... Um, death and how we're not going to be here forever mm. so there's a very deep meaning to this wow. and the question is is how do we fit in with our friends who know all of our weaknesses and know all of our flaws and then how do we help out the next generation and we know their weaknesses and many of their flaws mm. and basically coming to terms that you you can't control all of that Russell Crowe's character is going to die. He brings his friends together. They have a poker game. And then there is a thriller that's wrapped around it that goes on. This is a beautifully shot film. Hmm. Um, this is a very deep message. And this is a very, very good film. I would encourage anybody, if they're looking for a good film and you're an adult, this would certainly work out real well. Maybe an older adolescent maybe it, uh someone 15 16 may enjoy it but really this is a, a, a grown-up film and um I, I really found it very good and i'm very glad about it because when we get to the movies that are being released this week you'll realize why it's we want to find the good films so we mentioned that this was originally australian and released on an australian streaming service how did you find this one i found it through uh itunes interesting as one of the new releases so it it, it may have been at the theaters hmm. my hope is what it was it's at the theaters but i i will also mention this because it's so important hollywood has a voice so while our our movies in the united states and many of them are in hollywood and pick your flavor to kind of deal with it but international films have a very different voice mm-hmm Men are different in international films than they are in what I would say Hollywood films right now. They tend to be um, stronger and uh, certainly more capable. We we certainly, I would say Hollywood has been very good at creating the bumbling, uh, loungy male character for many, many years. This isn't that. These are people who certainly are flawed. Not everybody's the most successful, but certainly they are, they are men. And, you know, the point is, is we need to have a different way of looking at life than typically what Hollywood presents to us. This is why international films are very good to explore. Mm. And if we get stories like this, maybe we need more of them. Excellent. That's a great recommendation. I think a lot of people would enjoy that film and uh, finding it and in, in understanding a little bit about our world, that international film flavor. That's uh, something important to me, for sure. Well, Steve, you got to explore a few films this week, too. Tell us a little bit about Goodnight Oppie. Yeah, I have been exploring. That's a great word that you used there, because this is a documentary all about the Mars rover opportunity, a wonderful 
heartfelt emotional journey through all of the creators and scientists who made this amazing discovery on Mars, putting a robot on Mars to go through and try to find any evidence of life and, and water. I mean, water first and life second. And the, the time and the days that they spent and the emotion that goes into the adventure on a different planet. And it's amazing. It's narrated by the Queen of Wakanda herself. Yes, it is. And you can hear in that narration, Angela Bassett is just an amazing actress putting emotion into this robot, into this idea of this mechanical thing. And a lot of the conversation is about how the emotional tie to this thing becomes important to the mission. The people behind this robot really love this robot and they personify it. They give it personality. It has its foibles. It doesn't work when it's supposed to. And they're applying humanity to this thing so many millions of miles away. And you can stream this through Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me, why is this an important film? I am very much in the camp that we need to explore outside of our planet. I think that my students, my 12-year-olds today, are the generation that will be the ones that will see the first people from Earth on Mars. And anything that I can do to show them the joy and the, the absolute resilience of humanity is important. I think movies like this become the basis for all of that scientific work going forward. All right, Steve, you also got to see another film <laughs> called Senior. Yes. It's streaming currently right now on Netflix. Yes. We talked about this last week. This is Robert Downey Jr. making a movie about his father, Robert Downey Sr., who is just a character. Robert Downey Sr. Uh, made some very avant-garde films in the 1960s and 1970s. He's very absurd in his storytelling. He makes these movies that don't really truly make sense, uh, but he explores the idea of humanity through this very strange lens of filmmaking. So Stark Industries and their filmmaking skills certainly were at one time much more experimental. You can see in this movie how Robert Downey Jr.'s facial hair changes when he's in the midst of filming uh, some of those Marvel movies where he's Iron Man. And, so, and sometimes he's definitely not doing that and his facial hair changes throughout this exploration. This is a beautiful film about fathers and sons, about storytelling, about American life, especially New York City. Robert Downey Sr. was a New Yorker. He tried to find a way to make films in Los Angeles and just didn't fit in there. There's a lot of story here about fitting in, about being who you are, telling your story, even if it's weird, even if it doesn't make sense at the time, maybe over time there will be some kind of reality to your very absurd very absurd storytelling. So what we've learned right now is that Robert Downey Sr. didn't find the Carrie Fisher of that generation to be able to introduce him to everyone. 
He really ran with a very small circle. Alan Arkin is one of the people that he worked with in these avant-garde, very absurd films. Alan Arkin actually played Jesus in one of the films. Uh, the the how, how timely during the <laughs> holiday season, Steve. Merry Christmas, everyone. Alan Arkin. The storytelling of this documentary is beautiful. The editing for this, putting together this random mix of thoughts into something that makes sense is very difficult. We see the end of Robert Downey Sr.'s life in this movie. It is very touching to see three generations of this family coming together, rallying around this, this figurehead. And there's something about generations here because Robert Downey Sr. was in the generation going to war world war ii and robert downey jr being you know the product of that being one of those baby boomers and seeing him and his kids in the 21st century and seeing how life changes over time there's there's something very beautiful in this but at the same time it's so avant-garde it's so absurdist like waiting for godot style storytelling here steve that's a, a a nice review of a movie because this week we've got some certainly some some very interesting films coming out yeah there it is award season it's time for those great movies to come out it is december and we have some movies that maybe will be up for awards this year the first one is called the whale i think most people have at least heard about this film coming out this is brendan Fraser's comeback film well, you know, the holiday season is upon us, and we certainly eat a lot more than usual. <laughs> this is a story of a very obese English teacher trying to find his way in the world. Brendan Fraser, a reclusive English teacher, uh, trying to to find out what life's all about in the whale. Well, Steve, that's not the only one we have. There's a very English story. We've got the it's a search it's a searchlight picture Steve. It is it, we're going to have to slow down and whisper now. Searchlight Pictures brings us Empire of Light. This is Olivia Coleman, she's in everything, Colin Firth and Toby Jones. You can't get much more English than that. Steve, you've got uh, four of the 15 or 20 British actors <laughs> starring in this film. <laughs> I look forward to seeing this one eventually. It's, it's not one that I'll seek out in the theaters, but Empire of Light certainly looks like one of those fun nostalgia trips through the 1980s. Steve, if you were Gen Z, if, is there a movie that would really frighten them? Yes. There's a movie this week coming out called Float. This is the story of a bunch of Gen Zs floating down a river in inner tubes. That's what they do, apparently. But that's not the scary part, Steve. Nope. The scary part is their phones run out of battery and they lose connection with everybody. And then, of course, that's when the terror begins. Yeah, there's a paranormal force in, involved in this. And it must have something to do with battery life. <laughs> battery life, the movie. We've seen this over and over again. This is the real fear of, of this generation, isn't it? <laughs> Steve. This has been a year of trying to find demographics to have films for. Is there a rom-com for a demographic? 
Yes, we have a movie called Spoiler Alert coming out this week. I won't tell you the plot of it because that would be a spoiler alert. Oh, that's not true. Steve, there's a couple and there's terminal cancer. Somebody's going to die, Steve. Oh, boy. This one features Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory and Sally Field from Gidget. (laughs) There you go. There's your your generational (laughs) reference that some people will have to look that up later. Jesus. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week, a chip. (laughs) It's Christmas time. You know what we should do is we should invite someone in to talk about a book that takes place during the holiday. A book that we can read together at the end of the month, bring in Pamela Bedore and have her give us an education. We have with us today author James Crooks, who wrote a book called Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? This is our December book club book. We're going to discuss it with Professor Pam on December 20th. You can read along with us. Send us your questions and reactions. We would love to hear from you. But today we get to hear from the author himself. Good morning, James. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So happy to see you straight from England. You've got the the English accent. I'm not going to mention Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> okay. I won't then either. We'll wait until the questions where I ask about Doctor Who. That's fine. Which brings us to your story. You have written a novel. This is your first novel. It's a comedic and uh, a nostalgia trip into Christmas of 1984, right? That's right. Well, it's called Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? Because it was based on the record, Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? by Band-Aid, which was quite a big deal for me as a teenager because I was 14 years old when that was released. And I've often often wondered how much uh, that that sort of sort of resonated with the United States, because I know off the back of that, uh, we had a USA for Africa and Live Aid. But mm-hmm. at the time... Did it did it chart in America when it was first out? Was it absolutely? And in fact, not only did it chart, MTV was was at its time when it actually played music. Yeah. So the video went, you know, probably every hour they were playing that video, but it's still played today. I mean, we we joke about the radio formats in the United States. Um, November first, some radio station will start playing Christmas music or holiday music. And they'll play it all the way to the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. And Band-Aids, Do They Know It's Christmas, is one of the 15 songs, there's only 15, that they will rotate. (laughs) So you get your fill of this song still today. Yeah, yeah, we do the same. We do the same. I I work in radio, and you're quite right. You described it very well. It's a similar number of the usual suspects. So they're they're kind of ruined for me because when I get home, I don't want to listen to them. They don't make me feel festive. You know, they they, they, I just totally uh, overexposed to them. So this book, in fact, let's go ahead and start with that. Tell us a little bit about this story. Well, the story is a it's a comedy really. It's rather than a time travel story, because I know that as soon as I uh, I sort of talk about time travel, a lot of people yawn 
and think about science fiction, um, which is possibly fair, possibly not. Depends how much you like the genre. Um, I, but I, spoiler, as I say, I was. I love the genre. I know. It's I know pretty, you love the genre. I know you. All love I the read genre. is is time travel, and 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 pretty much all I watch is Doctor Who. Go on. Uh, well, this is why I'm nervous talking to you. This is why I'm so nervous because I'm thinking, oh no, is he going to enjoy the book? But. Um, <laughs> As, as I mentioned, I, I was a teenager in 1984 and I was a big fan of pop music because at that time when you're mid-teens, the music defines everything. It defines you. Uh, it defines who your friendship groups might be. It defines what you wear, defines who might you know want to go on a date with you. It defines everything. And the lyrics mean they're written for you, right? You're heartbroken because someone doesn't want to go out with you or, or whatever. Um, so at that time, there was Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet. There was Frankie Goes to Hollywood. There was Wham, who I adored. Uh, we had over here, I don't know if Paul Young made such a big impact on the States, but Alison Moyet. Um, there were bands that really I thought were very special. And the passage of time, I believe, has proved that that was quite a golden era for music because in terms of uh, songs that come around uh, on, on many radio formats, the 80s still tests incredibly well. And it was a rich vein of iconic music. Um, so I remember being at school when someone said, they're going to do a charity record because of that, that uh, news report on the BBC that Michael Burke presented. Um, because... Just very briefly to fill you in, the BBC was obviously it still is the main broadcaster in in the in the United Kingdom, and they on their six o'clock news ran a, a news story and they led with it about uh, a famine that the the reporter called a biblical famine, and he showed these horrific images uh, of dying babies, families, parents, brothers, sisters. It was it was brutal, and it was a it was a revisit to a, a famine that he. he touched on in the summer but it was broadcast on october the 23rd and uh it goes down in history as, as being the, the the starting point for ultimately band-aid usa for africa live aid simply because the lead singer of the boomtown rats bob geldoff was watching that news report and there's a lot of serendipity because apparently it was a no news day as they call it in the media it was a no news day they had this file sorry this report on file uh for a while and said let's let's lead with that that news report that Michael Burke's done in, in Ethiopia because nothing else is making the headlines today. So it was top of the news. Bob Geldof saw it and broke down in tears and famously prompted him to write Band-Aid, but get the, these bands together. But at the school gates, when we were talking about it, we were saying that there was no way, there's no way they're going to get George Michael in the same room as as Paul Weller from The Jam and uh, Simon Le Bon, Duran Duran, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Boy George, very outspoken. They were constantly... I'm trying to choose my language uh, in a clean way, berating one another. Yes, kind of sparring. <laughs> That's yeah. right, sparring, sparring in, in, the, in the music media and in the, in the press, you know, the print and press, the magazines the kids would be reading and the TV. They, you know, they hated one another. And if at school you were a Durani, you wouldn't hang out with a Spandau fan. You know, they were, <laughs> this is a big deal. Uh, you might hang out with them, but you'd constantly be, you know, um, sparring and, and saying, terrible, that your band's terrible. My band's brilliant. And if your band got to number one, you know, you were pretty pretty much a big deal in the playground that, that day. Um, so we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. And then when finally we saw the video and we listened to the song, everyone went, that's terrible. What a terrible song. What a terrible video because they all look ugly and messy and sweaty. Awful. Um, and because it wasn't it wasn't the sort of same key or melody or up tempo, 
You think about Wild Boys, Duran Duran. Uh, you think about Freedom by Wham or Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. It was a very different genre at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was Major from a band called Ultravox who basically did most of the work anyway because he was in hand in hand with Bob Geldof doing that. So it does sound a little bit like, are you familiar with Vienna, Ultravox? Um, they were a very I, I... synth band, craft work type style, you know? Mm-hmm. I am That's familiar. Why yeah, there's so much synth on there. Um, but, you know, time's shown that not only was it actually a good tune, but also I think it went into so many people's DNA because back then in Britain, there were just three TV channels mm-hmm. uh, and they were playing it all mm-hmm. the time. So all of the population bought it. People were buying the record as, as instead of Christmas cards. They were buying 10 copies if they could. It was the first time ever that um, this sort of altruism cut through the whole of the country and it felt good to be part of that but it also broke a lot of the fun of the music scene because everyone became mates and and 1985 came around and the music was still great but it did change something fundamentally so all the time growing up and still to this day or till recently i've thought what if bob hadn't seen that news report what if he hadn't seen it because he was such a proactive fearful character really uh you know he would lie to he said he would lie to get people to do it he bumped into spandau ballet in an antique shop uh, and said oh joanna doing it so are you gonna do it and they went yeah okay so then he go to joanna and say spandau are doing it so you've got to do it um and that was the way he operated and he got these people together i don't think anyone else could anyone else could have done it so my my thought really has always been what if he hadn't seen it and i thought i wanted to write a screenplay about that um or a book about it um and at the time i thought initially it would be so funny if bob hadn't seen it and one of the d list or e list celebrities had the idea but couldn't get anyone to join in. I just imagined the likes, you know, Nick Kershaw, Howard Jones, some of these people, or Bananarama knocking on people's doors saying, I've got an idea for a Christmas song and people just slamming the door in their face. But that was more of a sketch. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't see any mileage in that. So I thought what I would do is I would send two people from 2020 back in time accidentally, and they will incapacitate Bob Geldof just before he sees the news report and they don't know they've done it. So it's very, it's quite a complicated plot to explain. It's pretty straightforward, but it starts at Christmas in Sheffield in Yorkshire, two 30 somethings, brother and sister, not failing at life. We all think we're failing at life, but both thinking they could do better. She's a single mum. He's got pretty much low ambitions, but he's got his, his issues with some autistic qualities and dyspraxia which i know because it's in my family uh, and i know it's not a disability it's it's a beautiful beautiful strength um and so there's no cynicism and there's no i'm not preaching to anyone at all i just wanted to see someone because he he says things how he sees it you know mm-hmm. uh, and so and it's a simpler time in the 80s so he goes back and kind of fits in she goes back and thinks, I just want to go home because she's accidentally left her baby back in 2020. Mm. Then they see the news report. But right after the news report, they see that Bob Geldof has been hospitalized because some strange moped has knocked him over in the street and they realize it was them. So they have to get the news report to Bob Geldof and fix time. So... What do you want for our listeners to get out of this experience? We've got a lot of nostalgia. We've got a lot of pop culture. Where is your theme for this story? Uh, That's a very deep question. Goodness me, I don't think I'm that intelligent. Um, 
I really want people to uh, escape into us. I, I wonder if it's because it's a safer time. Maybe it's because in the eighties, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen around the corner. With hindsight, yes. yeah. But at the time, it was yeah. it was frightening. It was terrifying. Uh, so yeah. I'm trying to to demonstrate that, but also some just a warm place, a simpler place. But I think all I want, rather than people thinking it's a clever story, I, I mean, I don't know if it is. I hope it is. The second one's a silly sort of story, sort of uh, farcical. The third one is far more complex. It's the first time I really got my comedy chops about trying to write a detailed, uh, complex couple of story arcs. But but that's because I was planning book four. But all the time, I just want people to laugh. I just want them to laugh and just forget about whatever is on their mind. Just lose yourselves and laugh. Fantastic. So where can our listeners find all of your books and and support you and and tell you that they are enjoying this book so that you can write <laughs> some more? Well, look, if anyone is kind enough to check this out and they don't like it, just shut up about it. Just shut up. Just don't tell anyone. You're probably going to get your money back anyway. You can do on Amazon. So shut up about it. Um, I'm kidding. Tell me the truth. But yeah, it is Amazon exclusive because I chose to do this independently. I don't have deep pockets. I don't have any money. I have a mortgage uh, and uh, Amazon offer an amazing uh, service where you can self-publish. Um, don't get me wrong. They'll take their share of of the royalties, but it's it's a print-on-demand service. So I I upload my heavily crafted manuscript after twelve months of of, of hard work, and they can uh, send it out to you either as a paperback or as a Kindle, or you could listen to it uh, either on uh, Apple or Audible. So basically, the first stop really I would suggest is Amazon.com and just search "Do They Know It's Christmas Yet?" or James Crooks, which is my name, James Crooks with an E, C R O O K E S. I don't. That's not an American name, is it? You wouldn't have that over there. Nope, that is definitely a very British name, sir. <laughs> it's a pirate name. <laughs> it is a pirate. I, th I thought about a pen name at the time, but I thought, oh, it's too complicated. And also, given I, I broadcast on the radio, I thought maybe at least 10 listeners might buy it. So um, that's why I stuck with my name. Very good. Jamescrooks.com. You're on Facebook. Are, are you still on Twitter for now? I am. <laughs> unless they've kicked me off. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you, James. This is something that I look forward to reading with our audience. Our December 20th show with Professor Pamela Bedore. We will be discussing, do they know it's Christmas yet? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on, Steve. And to you, Chip, it's been wonderful to talk to you and quite exciting to talk to someone on the other side of the Atlantic. How exciting. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little uh, futurism here, Chip. Well, the year was 2014, Steve, and Amazon brought out that Amazon Echo that uh, we that many people ended up getting. In fact, they virtually gave them away. I can't even remember what the first one cost. Was it a hundred dollars? Probably. The, that's the going price for the smart speaker systems right now. Well, it's a different time now. It's 2022, and the Alexa area of the Amazon company is going to lose $10 billion this, this year. year. This, this year. year. So that's not including all, all the development. Mm -hmm. And you can think about all the things that they have attempted to put Alexa in. Automobiles now, many of them have Alexa put in. It's an app. 
mm-hmm. that you, if you like using the Alexa, you can use it on your iPhone, you could use it on your Google phone through the, the app. But um, it's the target for cuts right now. And they're looking, uh, it's a team that once had, what, about 10,000 people that's in there. But internal data was showing that uh, people use it for um, setting a timer, Mm -hmm. an alarm clock, playing music, what's the weather. It never could move beyond sort of these uh, simple tasks. Because the idea was for us to have that Star Trek level voice activated computer, that that smart home that makes things happen just by voice command. Alexa isn't, or Amazon isn't the only person that's having a difficult time with their um, a, a virtual assistant. Google is having a, a difficult time with theirs. They they've shifted money away from their Pixel, or moved it to their Pixel from their Google Assistant. Uh, Microsoft and uh, virtually abandoned Cortana. Mm-hmm. Samsung's Bixby certainly has um, been abandoned. Uh, Siri certainly is still a very much a work in progress mm-hmm. with Apple, but it's just they're just not finding. In fact, I did some searching on it just to figure out how you know there's got to be somebody out there that's been super you know knows how to use these far better than the average person. Mm-hmm. And it's just as many resources as we put through these right now, we're still struggling to find out, you know, other than tell me the joke of the day or, or some silly thing, how to use it effectively and to make it worthwhile for a company to spend a lot of resources on it. They can only spend so much on a product like this before they run out of money. And and it seems like Alexa uh, hasn't lived up to that possibility. Yeah. And they were virtually giving them away during uh, Black Friday. 15 bucks, you could have got that little ho- uh, hockey puck. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in previous years, they were 25 and you can buy them for what, 50 bucks regular price. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is how long? Will um, Amazon support these? And there's their real concern is if, you know, what happens if they just abandon these? Many people have these as part of their home. And and that's always a possibility, especially with Google. Google abandons products all the time. So that's something that we need to think about when we purchase such a thing. Yeah, I think that there needs to be maybe a statement from Amazon saying that we'll continue to support these and we'll have some research going on. But we're still, you know, we still have the basic idea. You know, if you subscribe to our music, you get these available to us. Mm-hmm. You know, something of that nature. Um, but regardless, uh, it is something as a trend to watch because we we really are at a different period right now. We're seeing a lot of companies, and especially in the tech business, who have spent enormous amounts of money, but their shareholders are, you know, coming in and they're saying, hey, Let's make sure these things are profitable enough. The good news for Amazon is that they have topped Netflix as the biggest subscription streamer in the United States. Yeah, and isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the NFL will have something to do with that because they got Thursday night football. I think they put a lot of money into their um, streaming services as far as they've become a, virtually a, a movie studio. Mm-hmm. And so are you watching more Amazon Prime Video than you did last year? I don't know if I do. Are you watching uh, less Netflix than you did last year? 
I, I don't currently subscribe to Netflix. There you go. There you go. There's our there's our very scientific study. <laughs> you are watching more Amazon Prime because you no longer have Netflix. I also have been watching a lot of Amazon Prime. They've been putting out a lot of great product, but Netflix is still number two on our list here. So let's run down the, the top 10 real quick for 2022. Currently, uh, Prime Video which is Amazon, has the, the this number one as far as the, the penetration in there. Netflix is number two. Hulu, mm-hmm. which Disney owns two-thirds of it. I think Comcast owns one-third. Mm-hmm. Um, that is number three. Disney Plus, which I recently canceled, um, currently you know is number four. And if I had young children, that certainly would be something that I would have. Mm-hmm. Number five is HBO Max. I get HBO Max as part of my cell service. You have Disney Plus as part of your cell service. Disney Plus and Hulu come with my cell service. Yes, sir. So, you know, you got to ask how much of that they're really getting as far as full take on it. I I don't know. Sure. ESPN Plus is number six. That's also owned by (laughs) Disney. Uh-huh. Also comes Hulu. as part of my sales subscription, yes. <laughs> sure. Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access. Which is now the Star Trek channel. Which is number seven <laughs> uh, as far as streaming services. I do know that Apple TV Plus, which is number eight, has about a 5 to 6% penetration as mm-hmm. far as uh, consumers. I have that because I'm part of Apple One, which has the music and the... Um, Story. I get they have a game system that, that's available to an arcade that's available to it and my music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my question is I don't know where Spotify would fit in here, but regardless, right. Peacock has been considered a failure. That's owned by NBC and Comcast. Yeah. And Comcast. And then we have Stars. Which, how is how is Stars still on the top 10 list? <laughs> I, I don't know. I know they give it away. Uh, when I say is you can buy a six-month subscription for, I don't know, a dollar a month or whatever. Right. Or something like that. And maybe you pick it up to pick up a few shows. Correct. But, real, but here's where it's coming down to. What, what do we have here? We have Amazon. We have Apple. We have Netflix and, a whole, and HBO and a whole bunch of Disney. Mm-hmm. So the idea of moving towards streaming we're still in, I would say, the emphasis. We, we're still in the beginning stages of this. Mm-hmm. But certainly it is becoming mainstream. Wouldn't you say it's becoming more mainstream? I absolutely see a lot more people asking me about how to cut the cord, how to get away from cable to go to the a la carte style. If I want to watch this program, I have to pay this money to this company. Which which brings us to you know, Amazon spent a billion dollars a year to have Thursday night NFL. Mm-hmm. And and what that meant to them was they got 13 million viewers on the Amazon prime streaming service, which then uh, trained them to watch other things on that streaming service. That might be that thing that makes that streaming service. And if we th- go back in time in the old days, mm-hmm. when uh, we, we watched over the air, or maybe some kind of cable version. Fox went from, hey, it's Simpsons on Sunday night mm-hmm. to a week-long service by adding the NFL. Yep. That was, I don't know, probably 20 years ago or more. 1994 is when they got the NFL. So that's coming up on 30 years, my friend. And what's really on the market right now 
that could make a service, particularly like Apple TV Plus, would be the NFL Sunday Ticket. Mm-hmm. And so, what is the Sunday Ticket, Steve? Sunday Ticket is the ability to see all of the NFL games across the country every Sunday. They have access to all those games that are usually blacked out. You can get your local game on your local system and then catch all of the other games through the Sunday ticket. It's been very valuable to my son, who is a big NFL fan, especially of the Denver Broncos. Well, and and you can imagine our son in Raleigh, our home team is the Carolina Panthers. Mm -hmm. But we also, all right. So on one channel, we get the Carolina Panthers game. Mm -hmm. And then on the other channel, we have a large group of people who move from Buffalo, New York. So we get the Buffalo Bills game on the other channel. Yeah. And then we get a third game, which is the national game. So in in Chicago, what do we get? We get the Chicago Bears. Mm -hmm. And then we get, you know, a national game. Yep. And maybe we get a second. And and so what, what Apple and uh, it looks like that YouTube TV, it looks like that every other streaming service is trying to determine is, hey, what can we get out of broadcasting this? Mm-hmm. And the NFL is looking at $2.5 billion. That's what they want to get mm-hmm. for that Sunday ticket. Because That's it's for- leaving DirecTV at the end of this football season. This is the last year that it'll be on DirecTV. Somebody is going to have this package, and they're looking for $2.5 billion a year for this. And I anticipate that being one of these uh, internet companies. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be something like Apple, Google, Amazon. Somebody is going to to try to take that out. And if I'm Paramount TV Plus or HBO... I may be looking at that too. I don't because... think they have the buying power for that though. I think yeah. the, the big companies that you mentioned, the one you didn't mention was Disney. Disney has ESPN, is that sports and has that buying power. So they are in this game. But for right now, Apple seems to be the, the front runner. And ESPN or Disney has put their money into the college football uh, playoffs. They put their money into, well, the NCAA is on CBS. Uh, and Turner, but you know, I could see one of these companies absolutely putting this out because it will make their streaming service relevant. Mm-hmm. Immediately, you gain this. It's it's the one thing that pulls in advertising. Mm-hmm. It is the one thing that makes it work. And and on the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some Vegas hotel, some casino or some company that owns a casino doesn't come in and buy that too instead, because you can immediately see that almost everything is turning to gambling, which is going to be an interesting. Ever since Disney took a stake in the gambling companies. Yes. That's uh, they, uh they they give you your like, Hey, and this is who we think is going to win Mm -hmm. along with, Hey, if you put a hundred bucks in, we'll, we'll match your hundred bucks and you can gamble on today's game. Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? This is not going to be. This is not going to be a blight on, on. Oh my goodness! I think I, it I already is. I think it's already a blight on advertising. I, I'm seeing way too many commercials for gambling since Disney put their their chip on the on the table. There's a and, metaphor. And, and not to go to um, uh, Puritan on this, but uh, you think about Illinois. Think about near where you live. You go to a gas station, and there's 
slot right there. And uh, you think about the advertising that comes across the television on your newscast, and what do you have? You, they're going to pull the lottery out for the day. Mm-hmm. It seems a little bit like, yeah, hmm. yeah. Biff took over America, and everything's gambling now. Let's bring up something else that we're looking at is that Apple um, certainly is looking at the challenges they're having in China. In fact, the United States and China, they certainly are looking maybe to separate themselves in one way. That tenuous relationship that we've had with China for all these years is is still tenuous. Well, we are having protests in China. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, Apple has a. I mean, where where is the iPhone made? Where where are the Apple products made? They're made in this Foxconn uh, company mm-hmm. or iPhone City, and they have about three hundred thousand workers. I think about that. Yeah. Three hundred thousand. That's a city. Yeah, that's a real city. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, um, this is becoming a challenge for them. They're going to be looking to diversify mm-hmm. where these products are made, and they certainly are looking at other places in Asia for that. And that's just something to kind of be on the be on the lookout. Speaking of sort of separation of uh, global power, Steve, <laughs> yes. you know, we can always go out there and find a podcast, but you seem to have found one that looks fascinating. And for young people who are not familiar with it, listen to this. Yeah, uh, I listen to Pocket Casts. That is my pod catcher of choice. And they advertised this week a podcast that I had not heard of with Ed Helms uh, telling us a, an amazing true story of 1983 and a war game that almost very nearly led to a real-life thermonuclear war. And it's called SNAFU. Those of you who know what the acronym SNAFU stands for, it's it's a pretty apt title here. Ed Helms, the real Ed Helms, not the Ed Helms of the Northwest suburbs, by the way. Ed Helms is just a wonderful storyteller. This is a, a very frightening story about Cold War anxiety and nostalgia, especially for Gen Xers. Uh, you and I remember a time when we lived under the threat of global thermonuclear war, and that movie War Games certainly went to that that anxiety. This story is true. We almost got there in 1983. So it was the the, the program was called Able Archer 83. Mm-hmm. It was a war game exercise. The United States and the Soviet Union, Russia, mm-hmm. were um, basically in a, a global stalemate. It was it was a continuation of World War II, mm-hmm. and basically the. the the world was divided into at least two places. And so what do you have to do? You have to do military exercises. This military exercise basically was a computer program that sent out the illusion that the United States was attacking the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And there was a person there in the Soviet Union had to, who had to quickly determine, is it real? And do they respond? Mm-hmm. And for our young people who are not familiar with this, it, it, it's assured Mutual. decimation of life. MAD, mutually assured destruction. That nuclear warheads would be sent from the United States and nuclear warheads would be sent from the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They would hit their targets and basically wipe out all of humanity. life on Earth. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the version of that that we get today would probably be climate change or what children experience today. They mm-hmm. go to their uh, school and they run through some drill with a shooter on site. That uh, that anxiety, that fear of of annihilation is palpable. And it, boy, in the storytelling in Snafu, it really brings up all of that emotion. This is a podcast. There are eight 42-minute episodes and a bonus episode that was released this week with Matthew Broderick talking about his role in the movie War Games and how this all meant something to Gen X. Do you want to play a game? Oh boy, I love that. I love it. This is so similar to Brian Brushwood's World's Greatest Con, another podcast that I really suggest. Really great storytelling, talking about history with emotion and and high production values. Steve, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Speaking of high production values. (laughs) Is exactly. Has uh, a number of holiday-related events coming up. Run through them for us. They are going through a full week of holiday festivities this week. Starting on Monday, they're going to play Jackbox Holiday Showdown with three hosts and three mads in a battle for party game dominance. Uh, Those of you who have tuned into any of the other Jackbox games or played Jackbox at home, it is just a fun party game. Uh, I look forward to seeing what they bring us on Monday. Then, starting on Tuesday, they are going to do a whole week of special holiday events santa claus conquers the martians santa claus the movie and the christmas that almost wasn't leading up to the finale of the season on december 16th the christmas dragon a very special triple riff spectacular with three hosts and all three sets of robots riffing this movie i I, i'm a little excited for this chip (laughs) We are wrapping up our year. Uh, Spotify gave us their wrapped this week. Uh, talking about music, we've got all of our Christmas music. You can go to our hashtag TMS Christmas on Facebook and Twitter and find our holiday playlist. We are getting toward the end of the year and waiting for our favorites of the year. We're going to do our favorites of the year show on December 27th. We would love to hear from you. What was your favorite book, movie, and news story of 2022? We will review those at the end of the year like we always do. And our thanks to James Crooks, the author of Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? We are going to read this together. Grab a copy, read along with us. We'll discuss it on December 20th with Professor Pam Bedore. That sounds awesome. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker, even Alexa, to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. And I'm Frosty the Snowman. Chill out. <laughs> it's St. Nicholas Day, Steve, and I'm Frosty. <laughs> we'll see you in the future. <laughs>